two men of color vanished after last being seen in the same deputy's patrol car. I knew something was wrong. My mother knows. It's the strangest case, the most unsettling case. Listen to The Last Ride podcast, part of the NPR Network. My name is Curtis Sittenfeld, and my new novel is called Romantic Comedy. Curtis Sittenfeld's new novel, Romantic Comedy, imagines a TV sketch show called The Night Owl, based on Saturday Night Live. Fascinated by the trend of average-looking men who are romantically involved with beautiful and accomplished women, Sittenfeld imagines what would happen if the reverse were true, an average-looking woman paired with a handsome superstar. In this case, Sally Mills, writer on the fictional TV show, forms a connection with a popular singer defying societal norms. I recently spoke with Curtis Sittenfeld about her behind-the-scenes knowledge of Saturday Night Live, writing romance between characters who are slightly older than most romance protagonists, and how romantic comedy was a joyful escape during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. You are the author of eight published books, and I've been reading your work since your first novel, Prep, came out in 2005. And in addition to a collection of stories, Romantic Comedy is your seventh published novel. Can you give our listeners a description of the book? Yes. So it's about a woman in her late 30s named Sally, and she works at a late night sketch comedy show in New York that strongly resembles Saturday Night Live. She's very good at her job. She's successful. She's won Emmys. She was married and divorced a while ago in her early 20s. And since then, she doesn't really make romance a high priority. So it's not like she's pining for anyone in particular. But she writes a sketch about the fact that male writers and cast members at the show who are talented but rather ordinary looking end up dating and sometimes marrying super famous super gorgeous, super successful female celebrities who are guests on the show. And the sketch is kind of saying this wouldn't happen with an ordinary female writer and a gorgeous male celebrity. And then that week, the person hosting the show is a pop singer named Noah, and she has unexpected chemistry with him. As you mentioned, one of the major themes running through this novel is that concept that Sally comes up with called the Danny Horst rule, which describes, you know, that group of talented but average looking men and the romantic, beautiful women that they end up like dating and marrying. And when I was reading this novel, I immediately thought of like Emma Stone, who married SNL writer Dave McCary. But one of my colleagues pointed out that they immediately thought of Pete Davidson with the rule. You know, this phenomena exists, but I want to talk about Sally's view on why the reverse of this rule cannot be achieved in her eyes. Why do you think that is? Well, I think she I think she lives in the world and she just sort of looks around. And essentially, if there's a male celebrity, he usually is dating or married to a woman who looks like a model. Like she might not be a model, but she looks like she could be. If there's a female you know, celebrity, that's not necessarily true. And so I just, I think it's, you know, it's not really a rule, but it's a pattern. And I think, I think it's a pattern on SNL. And I think it's a pattern in real life, too. As you mentioned, this is a late night, a live late night comedy sketch that is on TV. And based on the sheer number of books that you listed in your acknowledgments, I I know you performed extensive research on behind the scenes of Saturday Night Live. 
Can you talk about your research process and how the Night Owls is based on Saturday Night Live? I mean, were you able to get firsthand on-site access to SNL or was all of your research through books? So I did go and see a dress rehearsal. Every Saturday that there's an episode, there's a dress rehearsal. And then a few hours later, there's the live show. And they're pretty much identical, except that a few sketches are cut for time. And I think the audience's reaction during the dress rehearsal helps determine, you know, what gets cut or the order that gets rearranged. So I did set foot in the the studio in 30 Rock. I did not have any special access. Like I did not go in the nooks and crannies and, you know, see the like legendary costumes and, and all that. Like I was very much a sort of, you know, standard audience member. I did interview people who, two people who've worked on the show in the recent past. And as you said, I read a ton of memoirs by some current and former cast members. I listened to tons of podcasts where comedians are interviewing each other, including writers and cast members from the show, whether it's like Mike Birbiglia. He wasn't on, but he's interviewed a lot of cast members or Mark Maron's WTF, um, Conan O'Brien, obviously. Um, there's a documentary by the actor James Franco where he really was, in fact, given tons of access and documents like a, a week in the life of the show. And then there's actually tiny little like five minute segments that the show itself makes that are on YouTube about like how the makeup department works or how the sets get built that are super interesting. You know, the subjects and settings of your book, you know, they vary greatly. Fictionalized versions of a of a private prep school or Laura Bush or Hillary Rodham Clinton and now SNL. But I saw you described somewhere as having a, you know, a quote, trademark ability to bring complex women to life on the page. Talk to me about Sally and her complexities that you brought to the page. Just to be clear, that that like trademark ability is not something that I said about myself. <laughs> no, I'm like, please congratulate you on my trademark ability. I believe I didn't think that was the case. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's my. I think that's wording actually. Like it's on the book jacket from my very supportive publisher. But no, I mean, I basically I think what I try to do is create characters who are as complicated as real people. And I think rarely, you know, is anyone totally appealing or totally unappealing. Often real people kind of act against their own best interest or self-sabotage, even if they know better. I mean, there's something in us where we like can't help ourselves. And, and like, sometimes that's endearing. Sometimes it's really off-putting and destructive, but I mean, that complexity exists in everyone in my life. And I think it also, it just makes fiction richer when it exists in characters. So Sally and Noah, these characters aren't as young as, you know, most romantic genre protagonists. They are both in their mid to late 30s in the timeline of this book. So talk to me about the decision to to write about people in their late 30s. So I'm 47. Uh, so in fact, they're younger than I am. <laughs> in real life, I was born in 1975. And in the book, Sally was born in 1981. But the novel starts in, in 2018. So she's, you know, 36 when it starts. But I think that in our culture, aging, especially women aging, is often referred to as unequivocally bad. Like if someone says, this makes me look old, like it's clear you're, you're insulting yourself or you're trying not to look old. But I actually think 
you know, life is like really interesting as you get older and, you know, it's complex and you know more and you've had more experiences. And I, I feel like I have really deep friendships now with women who are like me in their late 40s or older, a little younger. And so it was sort of irresistible to me. Like it was it was much more appealing to me to take two people who've had life experience and, you know, can kind of share that and are different from who they would have been if they'd met when they were 25 and to write about them, that was very appealing. I don't mean to harp on age, but at one point, Sally was telling Noah about the younger writers on the show. And she notes that one of the ways that the writers in their 20s are different is that they don't seem to think that we all have public and private selves. They're fine with having public selves discuss private things publicly. So how does this affect a show like TNO? Um, well, you know, the role of a show like that is always to push the envelope and, you know, regularly the real Saturday Night Live offends people. And I mean, including sometimes there's, there's sketches where I think, like, I did not love that. But, you know, I I think that, that actually TNO in the book and SNL in real life help us as a culture kind of define like what are cultural norms like what what do we accept what do we make fun of there was this one part in the book when sally was referring to the fictional tno when she said oddly even after 37 years plenty of viewers still didn't realize the show was live and i kind of forgot that as well like referring to snl and it's quite something to come up with the content within a week's time to rehearse it to make changes to perform it live within you know within a set time period where you have the airwaves you know, Sally's hours in the book were a bit crazy. In in your research, did you discover like a typical career length for a writer on something like SNL? I mean, what's the longest anyone would have worked at TNO, you know, before experiencing burnout or as you touched on in the book, you know, needing to let the younger generation take over? Well, I believe I, mean, I might get these numbers slightly wrong. I believe that Colin Jost, who, you know, does Weekend Update and has been a head writer. I believe he's been there since 2005, which is quite a long time. Keenan Thompson, I think, is the longest running cast member. I think he's been there close to 20 years. So I think it sort of depends on the person and maybe it depends on what else is going on in, in their lives. But definitely doing the research only gave me more respect for the miracle of what they pull off and what they pull off so quickly, including, you know, creating the costumes and the special effects and the sets and the music and all these things that aren't in the starring role, but like really kind of make it, make it the amazing show that it is. And in fact, it's, that's based on my research. Lots of people watch Saturday Night Live and do not in fact know that it's live. You know, earlier today, I found myself typing a text to my sister in which I used the word actually, and I paused and reconsidered if I should rephrase my text. And you had me questioning my grammar skills a bit as I as I read the book. And I'm wondering, are you a stickler for proper grammar or is that just Sally and, you know, not ending a sentence with a, a preposition or, or do you kind of leave that to Benjamin Dreyer, who I also noticed was thanked in the acknowledgments? Uh, yeah, he's, you know, obviously he's a he's a random house institution. I mean, I don't I don't think like I would never correct someone else's <laughs> grammar and <laughs> conversation. And I do. I think I sometimes 
knowingly use grammar incorrectly when I think it seems super pretentious to use it correctly. But I mean, I do try to choose my words carefully. Look, I am a writer. (laughs) The middle section of the book is epistolary, and it's told through emails through Sally and Noah during the COVID lockdown. I kind of loved being reminded of what it was like to have a pen pal where you respond to like every point made in the letter you just received, and then they respond to every point you made. But I I really appreciated when Sally wondered, quote, whether a person's writing self is their realist self, their fakest self, or just a different self than their in-the-world self. Do you have a theory on this? You know, I I actually wonder (laughs) that, and I don't know the answer to. And I feel like, I think a lot of fiction writing for me is sort of exploring my own confusion. And sometimes there are characters having an argument and I actually agree with both of them. So I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. And I do wonder it like is a writing self more or less real than a, an in the world self. If you had to choose between therapy and Midwestern repression, what would it be? Well, in in a very special twist, I think I've chosen both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one thing I got to kick out of, I understand you've been a, a Jeopardy answer four times. Isn't that wild? I it's like I I can't really I can't really I mean, obviously someone there, I don't know if it's one person or multiple people is is a big reader, but <laughs> yeah, it's I mean it's it's the high high point of my career. <laughs> You know, as I was reading this book, it was almost, I had to remind myself that it was fiction. I mean, it was so detailed and so well-researched. And we've talked about a lot, but I I want to know if you want to talk about anything that I haven't asked. I don't think so. Well, I mean, I guess the one thing that I would say is related to the research. Like, the reason I wrote this book was to have fun and to you know, like I'm, I'm super lucky that as a fiction writer, I get to choose the parallel universe I live in while I'm writing. And I, I think I've never made a more deliberate choice in terms of thinking like, you know, it's been a rough few years and feeling like this, this is fun and funny and escapist and it's comedy and it's romance. And so actually doing the research was so joyous in itself. Like it was, it was not one minute of drudgery. It was just like listening to jokes and stories. And, and so I hope, I hope that readers experienced some of that, but it definitely was like me trying to kind of create fun and escape and pleasure for myself. Well, the book is Romantic Comedy. Curtis Sittenfeld, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. That was Curtis Sittenfeld, author of the book Romantic Comedy, which was published by Random House. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.